Hey, Chicago Fire fans and Major League Soccer fans, welcome back to Feed the Fire, the Chicago Fire and MLS podcast. I am your host, Nick, and we are going to be recapping as much as it pains us to look back as Chicago Fire fans. We're going to be recapping the matches against the Columbus Crew and the New England Revolution. But just like you hear Frank Klopas say every week in his coach speak, we're going to look ahead. Also, we can only focus on what's ahead of us now to the match against Red Bull as well as the Major League Soccer playoff picture. We'll sprinkle in a little bit of Major League Soccer news, and we're going to talk all of that and more right after this. Welcome back once again, Fire fans and Major League Soccer fans to the Feed the Fire podcast. I'm Nick, and as I mentioned, we're going to take a look at all the action from the Chicago Fire this past week. There are two matches against the crew and the Revs, and um, at least we're not talking about the Chicago Bears. I'll, I'll just put that out there for a little perspective. Uh, but before we dive into all of those conversations and we recap what's going on, we look ahead at the playoff picture as it's forming. A lot of teams have clinched. A lot of teams are still into it. I wanted to give a quick shout out to a couple loyal, loyal listeners out there. Dan, Damian, thank you guys for always tuning in and listening. Maybe one night we can get our mutual friend to uh, set up some drinks or something. We can all get together, hang out, talk a little soccer and catch up properly. So anyway, Dan, Damien, thank you so much for supporting the Feed the Fire podcast. Now, as I mentioned, we do have to talk a little bit about that crew match from last week. But before we do that, let me talk a positive note. Let's let's say positive, right? The, the, sandwich, uh, the sandwich technique, you guys familiar with this? When you need to deliver bad news, you sandwich it between two good things. So before we talk about like the bad news of the Columbus game and the New England game. Let's talk about something nice, and then we'll talk about the playoff picture and how the fire can still technically get into it. So let's sandwich. Uh, let, let's have the base of the sandwich be a little tidbit from my son's U8 game. As you guys know, I, I'm coaching his under eights group of second grade boys. Uh, they had back-to-back games, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. They had one sub, and they were hot games. They're running around. I got to give the kids a lot of credit for, for gutting it out. They had a 7-7 draw against probably the, the other best team in the league and then like an 8 or 9-1 to drubbing of one of the other struggling teams in the league. So I give my kids credit to them for, for sticking it out. And here's the little funny tidbit, the funny story, the, the first part of this compliment sandwich, so to say. Uh, my son plays goalkeeper on occasion, and he started uh, the Sunday match in goal Ball got shot to the right, mm, probably wasn't going in. He, he got down, he made the save anyway, and he looks right at the opposing striker and just waves his finger like, no, 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 not today. He did the Dikembe Mutombo, not in my house, finger. My seven-year-old son, I couldn't believe it. Now, of course, me as the coach, I got to stop that kind of behavior because we don't want poor sportsmanship, especially at that young age. So I got on him. I said, not doing that today. Focus on the game. Play the ball out. But the parents found it hysterical. I should say our team's parents found it hysterical. I don't think the other team's parents were enjoying it so much. Um, but, of course, I'm laughing on the inside. I just couldn't let them see it. So that, let's start things off on a positive with a fun story like that. 
And now let's actually look at the Chicago Fire. Unfortunately, Chris Brady didn't have too many moments where he could kind of do something like that against the Columbus crew. The Fire lose 3-0 to the crew on Wednesday, September 20th. Uh, Cucho Hernandez has the hat trick with penalty kick goals in the 18th and the 16th, and then a goal from the run of play, great header in the 23rd. I don't like focusing on the referee, on officiating, especially in this matchup, because the, the crew are just in another league than the Chicago Fire right now with their roster construction, with their coaching, with what their aspirations are. They are in another league practically than the Chicago Fire. So this was always, I think, going to be a three-point win for uh, for the crew. But, you know, the referees certainly didn't help the Fire's cause. You still got to play the game. You never know what could happen. And as I mentioned in our last episode, should the Fire have stolen a quick goal, you never know what happens. You know, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, right? If the if the crew had their game plan and the Fire stole a quick one, they might have to change things up. But that wasn't the case. The crew with a convincing 3 nothing win. And additionally, if you look at the stats, and I'll mention those briefly in a bit, um, it, it the Fire really were never in this game. But we do have to talk about officiating in this one. Uh, on the first penalty that was awarded in uh, in like the sixth minute or so, the referee does not call the penalty at first. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I think, you know, bang, bang, play. You really can't see it. You let it go. You kind of err on the side of letting it play. But then VAR steps in. I, I still don't think it should have been awarded. I understand that there was contact by Chris Brady as Diego Rossi comes flying into the box, the attacker in this scenario. Brady had his head looking away, which doesn't does not help his case that he was really trying to make a play on the ball. Um, he has his leg out, but that's how goalies are supposed to play. You need to make yourself big. And Rossi is trying to get a touch on it. And I, I'm trying to remember if he actually does get a touch on it. And maybe that's why the referee thought, okay, he got the touch and then trips over Brady. But to be perfectly honest, I don't think Rossi has a play on goal. He's practically on the touchline when this penalty occurs. So it would be a difficult angle. He's already running out of bounds about. I I find it really hard to have this call. Now, I am one of the people, and I've said it in podcasts before, and I hope and I hope you're thinking it. Well, Nick, you're the guy that always says a foul is a foul is a foul. If it's in the box or if it's at midfield, if it's in the first minute or if it's the last minute of the game. And I, I still feel that way. This doesn't change my opinion on that. However, I would have left this as a no call, but I, I think the only reason the referee ends up overturning his no call is because there actually was contact and and Brady was looking the other way. I really don't think Rossi had a play, play on goal, play on the ball, but if the referee is going to call that a foul, then it, it should be a foul and it should be a PK fine. I, I was not a fan of this call, but at least I can understand it. The second one, I can't understand at all. This is just bad officiating for many reasons. And let's talk about that. Because number one, if you're going to call Suke for pulling down an opposing player in the box, that is a denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity dog so and it's by rule it's an automatic red card the referee calls the foul and then gives a yellow card to suke so he is already like halfway between two rules right whether it's an intentional foul it's a dog so and a pk in the box he's in between all of these rules with his ruling now var then correctly says you need to go take a look at this number one 
if it is a foul, and number two, if it is a dog so, and then you can wave the yellow and present the red. He doesn't change his call at all. He lets it stand. And so it's bad in a number of ways. Like, the first one, at least, it was bad, but I get it. This was bad, and I don't understand it. Because you have both players kind of hand-checking a little bit, and then Yaboa, the crew attacker, actually has, like, his arm out, like, arm-barring Suke, and that's what Suke kind of, I, I don't want to say latches onto, but, like, that's what he's hand-checking, and Yaboa's totally off-balance because of it and goes down. Now, was there contact with the feet? Maybe, maybe not. It's hard to see from the angle and the speed of the play. But it's Yaboa either way who is initiating contact. So I think this should have been a no call. I think it was a completely missed call in real time and on video review because he should have overturned it, first of all. And if he's not going to overturn it, he should have continued to actually follow the letter of the law and give a dog so. The only thing I can think of is that Chris Brady was right there, so it wasn't an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. But even then, that makes no sense because it's a goal-scoring opportunity, not an not that he's actually going to score on an open net. So the referee really botched things up here, gave too many early yellow cards, was not calling things, I think, with within the, the frame of the game or the flow of the game in this one. And it was after the second PK that the fire just kind of said, okay, we can, we'll put up some token, you know, a token pressure, play a token game, and, and maybe we can create some opportunities and get in it. But once the crew went up three, nothing, this game was just a formality. The second half didn't even need to get played. Also in this match, we need to note that the Chicago fire are on the wrong end of some history. Cucho's hat trick was the second fastest hat trick from the start of MLS play from the start of a kickoff whistle in MLS history, the second fastest, 23 minutes to score a hat trick. And who had the fastest hat trick from the opening whistle? None other than Nashville's Hani Mukhtar, who had three goals in the opening 16 minutes against the Chicago Fire two years ago. So the Chicago Fire have now given up the two fastest hat tricks from opening play in MLS history within a two-year span. Not good for the history books. And just for you trivia buffs out there, the league's fastest hat trick was scored in just under five minutes. So when you're looking at just like actual game time between the first and the third goals, you had Harut Karapatayan of the LA Galaxy back on June 4th of 1998, who scored three goals in under five in an under five minute span in an 8-1 win at the Dallas Burn. Uh, and that Hani Mukhtar hat trick a couple of years ago, he actually did it in about six minutes. So the fire almost hold the record for the worst hat trick defenses in history. Also some other negative history. I believe this is the club's first five game goalless streak in, in club history. And it's at least, I know it's at least the longest stretch of minutes without a goal. So it was over 500 minutes, I believe without scoring. So just the fire, we have talked about their offensive woes. Now it is historically bad offense. One other similarity I want to point out going back to Hani Mukhtar. It was a Hani Mukhtar hat trick last or at the beginning of this season and an abysmal fire performance that got Ezra Hendrickson fired, former head coach. And honestly, it should be this Cucho hat trick and the fire's absolutely abysmal, abysmal loss to the crew that get Klopas booted from the bench. Look, you want to keep him in the organization as an ambassador, as a goodwill guy, or stick him in the front office, have him around, but get him off the bench and please have him stop influencing any of the players 
But of course, it's not going to happen. We've got a lame duck front office. Remember, guys, they still think they've got the talent to make the playoffs. But, you know, when your DPs are out and your star midfielder gets hurt, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself, getting ahead of myself. Now, I'll spare you the, the stats of the match that we usually go over here, um, but they were some of the lowest stats of the season. 33% possession, eight shots, only one shot on goal, 331 passes. I think maybe that's the second worst on the season and only 0.4 expected goals. And to put a nice little bow on everything, we're going to have our featured guest, John Donovan, with uh, about a five or so minute segment here, recapping all things Chicago Fire versus Columbus Crew. So I will be pausing on the YouTube side of things. So make sure you come along and follow us on Spotify at the Feed the Fire podcast so you can hear all of John's takes and his commentary. Uh, So, John, take it away. Nick, John Donovan here talking about the MLS and the Chicago Fire. Nick, normally I don't do midweek games, but uh, I just had to. The Fire, you know, the game was a 3-0 loss to Columbus, so the non-scoring goes on to, I think it's five games. The Fire are a complete disaster. There's little to say about the Fire. I guess the best part was they started both of their DP players, and both of them were really, really weak uh, Torres, I, I don't know where his head's at on the field. And Shakiri picked up a yellow card in the very sort of the end of the game. He gets himself an ugly red card. So this is a guy making 8.2 million bucks, and he can't even play the almost to the end of the season. So I, I just don't want to talk about him. But what I do want to talk about is the league and how far this league has come with style and skill. I mean, this Columbus Crew team was... Uh, I'd like to sit my grandson down and show how quick and how their skills, their basic skills are are so high. I mean, they're trapping, they're passing, they're one-touching the ball. The way they tactically move the ball from uh, their own goal line to right in front of the fire's uh, net was just so skillful. It it literally was a, a joy to watch. I mean, when you, you know, you look at the fire, it's just all over the place, but they, the Columbus crew developed a guy, Aiden Morris, really a good midfielder. I mean, really has got a beautiful game. They traded for Cucho, and, and Cucho is a stud. I mean, he runs. He's uh, obviously, he, he scored two penalty kicks. He's a great penalty kicker. He But his head ball was really nice. I mean, he's a great uh, center forward, and he works well with that squad. You know, um, Nagby, I mean, I remember him playing in Akron, and he's still a beautiful, stylish player. He weaves that ball in and out with his with his uh, his teammates, and, I mean, they just seem to know where each other's coming up. Um, Diego Rossi, I mean, how do you not think highly of, uh, what's his name, Ben Decheco, the, the GM? He gets rid of... Uh, Zella Rian and I know Nick and myself, Nick, we were talking, we were kind of depressed about that move, but to bring in Diego Rossi, I mean, honest Lord, he is a wonderful player to watch. He's a little skinny guy that's just got a lot of talent, and he sticks his nose in the game, um, you know, and then they, they picked up Julian Gressel, who's always been a good player. I mean, I think he's playing for the U.S. Um, now. He's a German guy. But I know he married an American girl, but um, I was really impressed with a guy named Yai Yabu. He was out in the left left side, left wing more or less. 
talented and fits into this Columbus Crew um, concept so well. I mean, um, Wilford Nancy has done just a wonderful job of coaching. You could see that there was a settled down. He wasn't yelling at refs, and he wasn't jumping up and down. He was talking to his players on the sideline. He was coaching the game where you went over and you looked at uh, old Klopas in the middle of this Klopas flop, and there he is sitting with uh, with his Greek buddy. I mean, that's a joke. If they bring him in, oh, my, Nick, we're going to have to rename the uh, the podcast. But, you know, you just want to, I just want to tip my hat to Columbus. I mean, they really have put together good GM, good coach, good players, good tactics. I mean, their basic skills were just right on. I mean, their their passing was, was good. Everything was good on Columbus. Now the fire, you know, they did make one good move. Uh, they put on Almsberg and I couldn't understand why they didn't play him all year, and and suddenly now he's on. And the little bit that that Klopas said was he's a real smart guy. He he'll be playing again. He should have been using him all year, and he should have Pineda where he played in college as a midfielder, rather than uh, Dumbia who's thirty one years old, or uh, Navarro who gets a red card every other game. I mean, the Fire do have some skill, very little. Um, but tactically, it's just not there. Um, you know, the end game was three nothing, but it, you know, it was odd for one period. Nick, they're down three nothing, and they weren't attacking the ball. They were like in this defensive crunch, and uh, I, I, Columbus was just passing the ball back and forth to each other, kind of waiting for the fire to come out after him. I mean, they're losing three nothing, and he's in a defensive uh, position that didn't even go across midfield. It was an odd game, but it was a beautiful game. So, um, you know, we I guess next week they're playing New England without uh, Shakiri, which should be good. It'll give Gutierrez a shot without that, uh, without the pressure of Shakiri on the bench. And we'll just have to see. I hope he starts Olmsberg um, and Tehran. I think those two guys should be playing together. Um, you know, it just... It's such a shame that Chicago doesn't have the benefit of a team like Columbus. So good night. Have a good day, Nick. Say hi to Mike. Take care. All right. Thank you, John, for your takes on that fire match against the Columbus crew. We appreciate you checking in midweek with us, taking some time out of your busy schedule. But I do want to expand a little bit on on your DP analysis. You kind of talked a little bit about uh, the disparity of designated player production. Um, You have the fire whose designated players – can't produce anything. Meanwhile, the Columbus crew lose Lucas Zellerayan and bring in Julian Gressel and Diego Rossi. So again, it gets back to the whole point of the crew are at a completely different league than the Chicago Fire. But the only kind of bright spot, and we're looking way ahead to the offseason, is the Fire are going to have one, maybe two designated player spots open, depending if the league increases to four, as it's rumored. Uh, But nothing reported out of the league. It's just kind of rumors that are going around right now. But if you are the next general manager of this club, if if Heights is fired or transferred to to Lugano in Switzerland, or if he's promoted into a position where he can't affect the the real day-to-day work, um, if you are the next GM, at least if I was the next GM, you've got the one spot with Dumbia because he's coming off, and I would not resign him. He has been a disappointment. You have hopefully a second spot because the league is going to add a fourth. 
you have uh, Jairo Torres, who I would immediately move, buy out, get rid of. He has been an absolute bust, not just as a designated player, but as a player in general. No goal contributions. Maybe he has an assist. I can't even remember if he got an assist lately. No goals scored and maybe an assist. I don't even think he's been involved in any sort of like key passes or secondary assists or anything like that. So if you get rid and then transfer Shakiri over to Lugano, move him to Lugano, get him out of there. At that point, then fire fans, you have four, three or four designated player spots. You move on from Gaston Jimenez. You move on maybe from Miguel Navarro or Nosuke. And now you can completely rebuild your senior roster. Very similar to the Inter-Miami squad of this year. Now, the Fire are not getting Messi, Alba, Busquets, and then somehow picking up like these top three South American young DP players. That's not going to happen. But the Fire can completely turn a roster around if they have a GM with a little of MLS experience, shit, forget that. Forget even MLS experience. Bring a GM with some pro sports experience. I would even look to Major League Baseball. And I'm, I'm getting ahead of my notes here. But the reason is in, in Major League Baseball, you have your senior team and you need to be in your MLB team and you need to have a constant management style, playing style, coaching style, business style. The way you do things has to run from your Major League front office all the way through your single A club and all your affiliates. And that is exactly what the fire need as they're building out their senior team, their MLS Next Pro, MLS Next, and all of their academies. Uh, so that could be something. And we'll, we'll touch on that later on in this segment with the Revs. Now the fire then jumped right back into it on Saturday the 23rd. They had a 2-2 draw with the Revs. And, hey, a point stops the bleeding. The goals are scored. They end the goalless drought. We see Gaston Jimenez quick. Transfer him now. He just scored a goal. His value is never as high as it's been lately. Transfer him. Move him. Do something with him. And then you get Brian Gutierrez on the score sheet. And, oh, man, just, just heartbreak for Gutierrez. But before we get ahead of ourselves, what jumped out to me initially in this game was the lineup. The Chicago Fire had six substitutes available out of a potential Nine. They could have rostered three more players and gotten them some some senior experience, but did not. There are players on Chicago Fire 2 that need to get experience with the senior team. Now, I know CF2 was playing in Huntsville, Alabama the next day, and I don't know what the travel was like, if they were already out of town or whatever the case is. But what I do know is the Fire as an organization have completely mismanaged their players and their rosters, and they're depriving these MLS next pro players of experience. And it's two things. One, it's just incompetence and mismanagement. And two, it's the front office still thinking they have a shot at the playoffs with their roster. They have technically that's true. Technically they're still alive as the title of the podcast is still alive technically, but Let's be honest, even if the Fire are getting into the playoffs, they are nowhere near the top four or five teams in the Eastern Conference, and they may get embarrassed out of the playoffs in a first-round exit. Look, they couldn't even beat Montreal or D.C., who they're jockeying for position with. We'll talk about the playoff table in a little bit. The fact is the Fire front office has no idea what they're doing. They are a lame-duck front office by all appearances, and by all rumors, 
the, these guys are going to have, they have no power because they're not going to be in these positions very shortly. In my opinion, not soon enough, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to manage a roster. And it's pretty clear that that interim head coach, Frank Klopas, along with his staff, aren't managing that CF2 thing. And this gets back to my point earlier, the next GM, pull him in from MLB, if not another major league soccer organization, who knows how to have consistency throughout the entire organization from the senior team all the way down through your academies, that it's a, a singular message, style of play, coaching style, type of player that you're looking for, identifying and working up. You can't just bring up, oh, this, this guy's rocking it in CF2, let's move him up, right? The only exception I would say is that any of those guys who are scoring seven, six and seven goals down there in CF2, they should be getting a shot with the senior team right now because we know Kamara Kutsis and Shabilko ain't doing it. And the midfield is not doing it either to help support it. So might as well bring these youngsters up and see what they can do and maybe send a message to your senior team that, oh, you're not good enough and we got to look at some youngsters. But hey, the Chicago Fire front office, and by all accounts, Frank Lopez thinks this is still a playoff team. So why would you bring up and give these guys minutes? Just so you know the young guys I'm talking about, Amari Glasgow has got four goals in the Nation League appearance for Guyana. Alex Moniz ends up getting loaned to USL Championship side, a team who needs offense. So USL teams are like, wow, these Fire 2 guys can help us out. You got Sergio Orahel, Lucas Perpa, Misiel Rodriguez. They have 16 goals combined. I think Rodriguez has three and, and Orahel and Perpa have seven and six. Um, but they haven't been able to get any any time with the first team this year. And they were in a must win for CF2, or I should say a must draw. They needed to draw in order to get into the playoffs. And they all got subbed out in the second half. Now, maybe Rodriguez picked up a knock because he was like a, a halftime sub. But again, it just blows my mind. Are they trying to get CF2 to get into the playoffs? Like, yeah, the extra reps and games really help the development. But like, why are you focusing on getting your second team into the playoffs when you are just as desperate for your first team to get in the playoffs? And then you take the three best scorers in a must-draw situation off the pitch. I don't understand it. Top to bottom, I don't understand it. The one other big thing that comes out of this game for me is the Brian Gutierrez injury. It has been speculated that he has torn his ACL or MCL you saw the way his, his leg buckled in, in the 88th minute there. Uh, I sure hope he's okay because you you really don't want a player like Gutierrez going down if you're making this playoff push, which supposedly they are. Um, you just Your heart goes out too for a young player like that because an ACL tear uh, is a long recovery. Now, I, I did it playing in law school, playing at Valparaiso University Intramurals. I tore my ACL non-contact just felt a huge pop in my knee, felt a shock in my knee. And then it just buckled underneath me. Um, my, my friend who was on the opposite side of the pitch goes, dude, I, did I hear your knee pop? Is that what that was? So yeah, it was, it was, you talk about traumatic by the, by the textbook definition. Yeah. Traumatic injury into the knee there. It took me about, you know, that was in an October I couldn't take the time off of law school to, to have the surgery and rehab. I ended up doing surgery uh, the following spring, and I was under the care of, uh, of an orthopedic surgeon, making sure I didn't injure it further. Um, you know, was doing some light strengthening to keep it in decent shape to get it prepped for the surgery. And then I had surgery in May and then was back playing intramural and pickup games uh, that October. So I had about five to six month recovery, but I was able to kind of strengthen it going into the surgery a little bit. Uh, and again, 
I'm playing at the intramural level, right? That's my experience with it. For a professional athlete like Brian Gutierrez, if it's an ACL tear, it's going to take him up to a year to get back to his current form. And for a young player like like Gutierrez, that is a lot of development time missed. Now, the only silver lining for Fire fans, and I hate to say it, is is now he might not get picked up by a big club overseas, and, and the Fire can stick with him and build around him, assuming he gets back to his current form. Again, I'm assuming things. We're getting a little ahead of any sort of official announcements. Uh, the injury report hasn't come out yet this week, and he's obviously got to get MRIs, get evaluated, and all that sort of thing. And But again, the speculation is a sprain or a tear of a ligament in the knee. And let's just hope it is not as bad as it looked and Guti can get back out on the pitch as quickly as possible. Uh, also, to, to to kind of finalize this Revs match, does it surprise anyone the team played better without Shakiri? Jonathan Dean pushed up, gets an assist, had a really good game. Gutierrez is the focal point of the attack. That doesn't happen when Shakiri's on the pitch. And by the way, just for a statistical comparison for this Revs game against the Crew game, uh, again, three days before, it's not like they're implementing anything new. The Fire ended up with 45% possession, 16 shots, 7 on goal, 411 passes at the same 82% completion rate. So 100 more passes in this Rebs game than the Crew game at the same completion rate. And their expected goals went from 0.4 to 1.5. So, Shakiri's off the pitch. Gutierrez is running things. Jonathan Dean gets forward. The Fire play a much better game. Shocking, right? Not if you've been following this team this year. For our final thoughts on the New England Revolution match with the Chicago Fire, we get a great double feature here. John Donovan is back with some additional thoughts on this Revs match. John, take it away. Nick, John Donovan here talking about the MLS and the Chicago Fire. Nick, kind of an interesting game. Uh, The game itself, Nick, it ended up 2-2 against New England. Chicago against New England played in Chicago in front of a fairly decent crowd, it was Latino night, so I guess they had some uh, some specials going on. I was surprised. I'm not. I didn't see the uh, the attendance, but it it certainly appeared like it was one of their best um, games of the season, attendance wise. So the game, Nick, um, you know, Klopas stills keep pushing that Kamara for that goal that uh, to to beat uh, Landon Donovan, and he's just you know he had a couple of good shots at it. He had a header, I thought, that really was going was gonna to make it in, but the goalie was up for it. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, what's happening with New England. Looting, losing Bruce Arena really hurt that squad. I talked a little bit uh, about the crew game. I don't know whether you played it, Nick, but uh, the crew were spectacular with their basic skills, passing, covering tactically. They moved the ball so beautifully. That was not the case with New England, and I don't think that would have been the case with New England if they still had Bruce Arena as coach. The team is not playing well. Um, they they obviously they've got uh, the Gill brothers who are outstanding, and they have this uh, this left wing named Chantala from Argentina, who's just a a dynamite uh, dealing kind of player. But tactically, they just didn't seem like they had it together. Um, the left side of their defense kept falling apart, and that was our old buddy Polster. Um, I listened to the games in Spanish rather than English, and they kept commenting that Polster seemed to be playing center mid. I mean, he he was evacuating his his part, 
And our young man, Dean, from the USL was really taking advantage of it. Uh, he didn't have that much pressure, although Chandela did score. Um, but it was kind of a, a rebounding type score. But Dean had offensively had quite a night because it seemed like New England was playing two back and they didn't make any tactical changes, which you got to believe Bruce Arena would have done. And then they had uh, their center midfielder, uh, Mark Anthony K, just played miserably. I mean, uh, Gutierrez had his way with him. So literally, Gutierrez had quite a game that uh, uh, Saturday night against New England. He he scored a beautiful one off a cross from Dean that um, he did almost a splits and scored with his left foot. It was a wonderful cross, strong, hard on the ground, and Gutierrez picked it up in a spot where Kay should have been covering. And in fact, the second goal of the fire, that it was done by Jimenez, another cross. So, no, in fact, it was a back footer by Gutierrez on a another assist that it was right in the spot where Mark Anthony Kay should have been covering. So the New England team, they're probably going to make the playoffs, but they're not going very deep. Uh, Bruce Arena really was a great coach. And why he got uh, bumped out of the league with these woke rules, I have no idea. But this team um, suffered. It really is not the same squad uh, that you had. Now, uh, the fire did start. One one good move, uh, Nick, that we've talked about before, and we've been sort of confused. Olmsberg started in the middle uh, instead of Pineda, who I believe is hurt. And Olmsberg just played a smart game. He's a smart player. He's a rough guy. He's from Dartmouth, which in a lot of light doesn't get him a lot of notice because he's not one of these foreign guys. But he's big. He's fast. He's knowledgeable. I, I hope they keep playing him and move Pineda up to midfield. I, I think it would be the best thing for the squad. But, you know, what can you say? Uh, we're in the Klopas flop area of the season. And uh, we can't, you know, how many more games we got? Five more left. And uh, you know the team's not going to come together that, that strong. But the league itself, Nick, is really kind of interesting, the eastern part of the league. Nobody seems to want that last playoff spot. We, we You know, the fire, um, they've got a few more games that play. Uh, um, gosh, they play the Red Bulls this coming week. And, those, I mean, the fire can beat the Red Bulls. That's a game that they've got to win, and it'll put them – into the playoff situation, especially if they beat the Red Bulls. Um, D.C. is in Vancouver. The way Vancouver is playing, uh, I just like the way they play. Those two uh, forwards they've got, they're lightning quick. I just do not see D.C. playing well in Vancouver. It's a long trip. And then the interesting game of next week, Nick, is Miami against New York City. Now, you got to believe that Messi's going to be back next week. That'll give him almost two and a half weeks of rest. He's played, you know, tons of soccer. But now's the time why they hired him is, is for him to get into the game. And so Miami, New York City, I hope they're playing it in Miami and not in that dumpy Yankee Stadium. It, it's kind of a um, an insult to put one of the best players in the world on that pitch in New York. So hopefully that's, that's the game. Now, um, you know, the fire, during the game, I, I just felt so bad for C.J. Brown. He didn't seem like he was even in the mix for the uh, coaching. It was Klopas with his Greek buddy, and, and obviously that has not worked. 
I pray to the soccer Lord that Klopas and everything about him, his style, his organization, his recommendations, everything is gone from the fire next year. I hope Joe Monsueto, I mean, he's formed so many great corporations. Let's just make one move that's been begging to be made for the last 14 years. Buy Klopas a, a Yiddo shop or anything, but just get him off the Chicago fire bench. Nick, that's about it. Um, it's going to be an exciting end to the season. You know, you got to believe New England's going to be in it. They they get another point out of this game, which was kind of lucky. I think the fire outplayed them this game, um, I would have said. But uh, that laugh playoff spot for the Eastern Conference is going to be, there's about five teams that are in contention, including D.C., including Miami, the only team that really is out of it in the Eastern Coast is Toronto, which, well, if you said that at the beginning of the season, after all the dough they've sold, they've purchased some players, you would have thought I was crazy, but that's it. Okay, guys. Um, Mike, hope everything's going well. Take care, Nick. All right, John. Thanks again for our double feature tonight. Special treat for all you listeners on the podcast side of things. So if you're listening on YouTube, Thank you. Please keep liking and subscribing and sharing the video and sharing the channel with everybody, but also jump on to Spotify, follow along on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts as well. Uh, make sure you rate review there. And then you can get all of John's takes commentary. Uh, John is not only a successful businessman in the Chicago area, but a former professional player uh, in the Venezuelan league. So he, he's got a unique perspective on things. I'll say, John, thank you for always supporting our show and for contributing and this is also the perfect time to remind everyone of our sponsor, Skira Icelandic Spring Water, who has been with this podcast from day one. We could not be doing what we're doing without Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This is not your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it's one of the best. So get out to your local 7-Eleven. Grab a few bottles of Skira, quench the thirst, especially after you're yelling at the fire or whatever other team, whatever other match you are yelling at, and let's get ready for the next one. Okay, here we go. So, second half of the show, we are talking playoff picture, we are talking league news. What are the standings right now? So, starting in the Eastern Conference with the Chicago Fires Conference, we know FC Cincinnati is the number one team on points, on record, on form, on player performance. Cincinnati is having a fantastic season. Their, their only kind of blemish on their record is their away record at 5-3-7. and seven. However, as long as they're finishing, you know, top in the Eastern Conference, they can rely on that 13-1-1 one one home record to see them through the playoffs. So Cincy, right now, the team to beat. But we have Orlando, Columbus, and Philadelphia rounding out the top four in the East and Atlanta and New England in the five and six spots with that point against the fire, the new England revolution have clinched a playoff spot. And there were quotes coming out of uh, new England and the players saying, this is a huge weight off of our shoulders with everything they've been through with the coaching turmoil, with the organizational turmoil, with arenas investigation and, and resignation and everything that's come out of that. Go back and listen to our last couple episodes. If you want any recap of that, for them to clinch the playoffs, huge weight off their shoulders, and congrats to the Revs. So right now, the top six teams in the East have clinched. Cincinnati, Orlando, Columbus, Philadelphia, Atlanta, and New England. 
Nashville is sitting in the seventh spot. They have not clinched yet, but they are seven points ahead of eight and nine Montreal and New York City, who are in that wild card spot for the privilege of playing against FC Cincinnati. Just on the outside looking in, DC United with 36 points, then Red Bulls and Fire in 11 and 12 on 34 points, Charlotte and Miami on 33 and 32 points. You've got Toronto in in 22 points in the 15th spot. They are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. TFC is out, and I think it's a merciful ending for TFC fans that they can now just kind of start looking to next season. I mean, with with only four wins on the season to date, with a negative 24 goal differential, they have not won an away game this season. Not that that's an easy thing to do, but... You know, even though even New York City has one, Red Bulls have two away wins. Most teams have three or four away wins. No away wins for TFC. But let's get back to the playoff picture. Again, we've got eight through 14, 37 to 32 points. That's a five point gap. So the question remains is can Miami or Chicago or Red Bulls kind of jump up and catch New York City and Montreal? And Chicago is in a very unique position to do just that, assuming they can actually pull themselves out of this offensive malaise that they've been in for, I don't know, the whole season, but especially the last several games here. Because Chicago still has four remaining games against all these teams that are below them. They play Red Bulls this upcoming weekend at New York on, on the 30th. Then they're home against Miami on October 4th, home against Charlotte on October 7th, and they finish the season at New York City. All four of these teams are below the fire. If the fire can take points in all of these games, I'm not saying you got to go out and win everyone, but I think they need, excuse me, I think they need uh, at least six, maybe seven points at least to get into that playoff position and kind of take some of the, uh, the, the determination out of other teams' results. So they they could get this three points at New York, both New York teams. They could get that draw with Charlotte. And hey, if Messi and Jordi Alba have left it all out on the field going and playing in the U.S. Open Cup, you never know what that lineup is going to look like. If Miami says, hey, we're, if Tata Martino says we're going to save our legs, we're going to win League's Cup, we're going to win U.S. Open Cup, and then... If we don't make the playoffs, whatever, we still got two trophies and we'll start fresh next season. That's possible if he starts shutting down some of his starters. Uh, So the Fire have a very favorable schedule, and there are certain things that could break their way. But that is in the Eastern Conference. The first team they got to come up against is Red Bull New York. Again, Saturday, September 30th at Red Bull Arena. Real quickly, looking at the odds here. The Fire are at plus 400. These are even worse odds when they played the crew, and I think those are the worst odds they had all season, especially if Gutierrez is out, especially if other players are out for yellow card accumulation. We don't know the status uh, of Tehran, if he's 100% healthy, but um, he's going to have to go. We don't know uh, what Arno Suke is going to be doing, if he is going to have another um, another spell for yellow card accumulation. I don't think he will because he just served that suspension. But still, we don't know what this team is going to look like. And if they trot out Kai Kamara as their starter and leave him out there for 70, 80 minutes, he's going to have no legs probably after 50, 55 or so because he's getting up there not just in years but in miles on the legs this season. And I know they wanted to break that record and come move into second place behind Chris Wondolowski for all-time goal scorer in MLS, but the team's just not good enough to get him the assists. 
Let's be honest. Let's be honest. All right. I, really, they shouldn't be starting Kai. He should be coming in 30, 35 minutes at the end of every match and just giving it his all and and either, and either and pressing and trying to get on the end of some crosses, right? He should not be starting and have to pace himself for 60, 65 minutes. So, Fire are plus 400. The draw is plus 290. Red Bulls, the home favorites, at minus 160. You know, I was going to say the only saving grace about the Fire playing Red Bulls is that Red Bull can't score either, but they just put up five against DC, who blanked the Fire 4 nothing not too long ago. So whether you're looking at form or whether you're looking at the transitive property, the Fire doesn't look good for them to get any points in this match. If they can come away with a point, given all of that, they will be very lucky. I'm going to say it's 3-1 Red Bull. Not, not excited about this matchup. Not excited about the next match. But we will watch because we are Fire fans through and through. Before we wrap the show, here is that last part of that uh, compliment sandwich here, right? Just some news around the league, some, some things to note. Um, FC Cincinnati and midfielder Lucho Acosta have agreed on a contract extension through 2026 with an option for 2027. So we're going to be seeing a lot more of Acosta over the next few years here, Fire fans. Uh, and, and for Cincinnati, it's it's fantastic. They can build around him for the next several years or with these extra years of contractual control. You never know if, if, a, if a big team overseas comes in and wants to splash some cash and bring him in. He was supposed to be Neymar's backup in 2019 when Neymar had that injury at PSG and couldn't get the deal done or couldn't work out whatever details it was. So you never know, especially after an MVP caliber season, but at the very least we're going to see him with Cincinnati for a few more years. Also get your schedules out, get your calendars out. I almost said Palm Pilots because it's just kind of a funny thing in my head. But anyway, set your reminders. Inter-Miami hosts Houston Dynamo on Wednesday, this upcoming Wednesday, for the 2023 U.S. Open Cup Final. Should be a great game. Hector Herrera, Houston, Leo Messi, and crew. You know all the names uh, for Miami. But but also just I don't remember these teams ever playing in a U.S. Open Cup Final. Maybe Houston uh, in, some, in some years past had – had made some runs, but this is kind of exciting to have some new blood in, in a final here. Speaking of trophy matches, LAFC and Tigres of Liga MX will play in the Campiones Cup this Wednesday as well. Uh, last year's MLS champion and last year's Liga MX champion playing a an exhibition-ish kind of match. And also some positive news for our neighbors to the south. St. Louis City sets the MLS record for most wins by an expansion team, 16. There may be an asterisk in there that it's the most wins since uh, they didn't do shootouts, um, but still, phenomenal accomplishment by St. Louis City. They are atop the Western Conference standings. They are the only Western Conference team to have clinched a playoff spot. In the East, we've got six teams clinched and one eliminated. In the West, St. Louis, the only team to have clinched at this point and only Colorado, who's fighting with TFC for the wooden spoon, uh, has been eliminated. So looking at the Western Conference, St. Louis is at the top, and they likely will finish the number one seed on 53 points. Next, you have LAFC, Seattle, and Houston with 45, 45, and 43 points. Those, there's your top four. Houston owns the tiebreaker with RSL on goal differential. Both teams with identical records, uh, but... Houston has a plus seven goal differential as opposed to RSL's minus three. This is surprising to me in the sixth spot. 
the Portland Timbers are surging and have moved into the sixth spot. The new manager bump is real. Uh, they have now let's let's take a look at the schedule here. One, two, three, four wins in a row. And before that, it was a draw and a win. So you have winning five of their last six games, the Portland Timbers, since dismissing their manager, longtime manager, Gio Savarese. And they have surged up into that sixth spot. One point ahead of Cascadia rival Vancouver, who is sitting in seventh. You've got the San Jose Quakes in eighth with Dallas in ninth. So there's your playing game, your wild card game, San Jose Dallas right now. And then on the bottom half looking in Kansas city, Minnesota, Austin, and the galaxy still technically in it. Well, and so are the fire uh, in 38, 37, 35 and 34 points. So with that fire fans and major league soccer fans, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Like, and subscribe on YouTube, follow on Spotify, please share the podcast, share the channel. Let's continue to grow the conversation around major league soccer, the Chicago fire and soccer in America. And one more time, let's, Go fire.